right, so tonight we're talking about uh, season five, uh, season one, episodes five and six of uh, The Good Place. And uh, episode five is uh, uh, category five. Uh, mur- mur- uh, <laughs> uh, episode five is titled uh, Category Five uh, Fun Fest. And what could be more fun than a list of uh, probably a thousand different um, frozen yogurt flavors? I couldn't read them all. I'm trying to read this one now. Hold on. I'll be right back. Oh, a clean house. Uh, guest. Uh, there might be one called Indiana Jones uh, or Grace Jones. I wouldn't mind that. I think there's one called Popeye Soup. It's tough uh, depending on what you're getting your resolution in. But Eleanor's uh, ordering some Froyo. She can't decide. Uh, Janet recommends full cell phone battery, which tastes how you feel when your cell phone battery's full, which is good. Uh, some other cho- choices I noted was your fifth birthday cake. I don't know if that's your fifth, your birthday cake from your first birthday or your fifth birthday cake in a row. Uh, Chanel Michant, uh, perfect high five. Uh, game winning home run, raspberry sorbet. I said, wait a second, raspberry sorbet, uh, potato chip, uh, main lobster, skinny dipping, cancel plans. Uh, empty inbox. Oh, inside jokes. Maybe that's what I thought Indiana Jones was. Uh, Stardust. Uh, let's see. Caramel Macchiato. Uh, something. A hotel something. I can't read that one either. Uh, maybe sweet potato fries. Uh, there's a lot of potato soup. That's an interesting one. But that would fe- that feels good. A, wait- a waitress's love. Um, maybe. Uh, chocolate chunk, something muffins. So a lot of different great flavors. Uh, and Eleanor's trying to decide, but she decides to give someone else a turn, which triggers uh, kind of uh, one of the themes of the episode where Eleanor's like, wait, am, am I making progress here? And then she runs back to tell Cheaty the good news that she did something nice. She runs for a park. She does some jumping over picnickers. And we get to see Cheaty at the chalkboard. Uh, and you could say that, I guess you probably could say that five times fast, but it's pleasant to say cheaty at the chalkboard, cheaty at the chalkboard. And on the chalkboard is John Stuart Mill, 1806, some other Jeremy person. What's good? What is bad? One person, uh, the greatest happiness of the greatest, uh, we learn a little bit more about this later because it's utilitarianism. Uh, there's a good reason, good person, oh, good person, thumbs up. That's what Eleanor gives. Then it opens chapter five, uh, category five, a fun fast. And then, yeah, then we go to the episode opening and Cheaty's teaching, uh, uh, Eleanor, uh, and Jason. He's talking about utilitarianism. It goes for the sum total of goodness. And Gianu Jason says, uh, t- tells a story about Sheila and uh, Donkey Doug, who's their best poppin' locker. It's really funny. And then she says, well, that's actually a, re- a relevant example of a utilitarian dilemma. Yeah, it looks like the other person's name is Betham, as I'm looking. Eleanor, uh, also cover your ears if you're uh, 
Yeah, well, spell it out. Uh, Eleanor's sister brain is H O R N Y. Thought that was funny. Yeah, Michael. Oh, th- then Michael at some point talked about this. this. Is the same trick I used to use when I used to try to uh, be more extroverted. And I think I talked about it on the podcast before. It's the old New Yorker trick where you read the New York. You guess it's not a trick. You read the New Yorker every week or a few articles. And it gives you something to talk about. Um, and, uh, I mean, for me, that was just, I guess, like, it makes you seem reasonably intelligent. But uh, it just gave me something to talk about other than, like, hmm, hey, uh, parties. Uh, uh, hmm. I mean, that's how normally, but now that I don't have time to read The New Yorker, uh, I wish I, okay, maybe I should set aside that. You say, well, I just got to work on it. I got to go work on the podcast. I don't know. Yeah, but that's a good a good plan. If you have to do a lot of socializing, you're introverted, read The New Yorker. And there's all, usually every every issue, there's one long form uh, article or interview or review. I mean, in addition to the talk to the town and it's some other stuff, uh, some in depth uh, something. It, and it could be uh, or, or a piece of fiction. Uh, that you're going to identify with. Um, also, this episode is not brought to you by The New Yorker, but uh, uh, but check it out anyway. My grandma loved it, uh, and that made me love it. Okay, where were we? New Yorker trick. Oh, Michael has a great plaid jacket with a gold pocket square and a real dark uh, pattern to tie uh, with like a dark, like a, kind of a vintage look. Um, couldn't even say, I don't have the vocabulary to define the colors. There's some, um, I'm going to have to get one of those uh, posters so I can get a deeper uh, grasp of colors. Or maybe just uh, maybe just try to be, wear, walk around with a box of Crayolas. Uh, let's see, dark pattern tie. Oh, Ted Danson's really big. This part of the season, uh, the next few episodes, he's in a, his real A game. Uh, Janet brings in a triangle projector, a computer, and we used to learn that the neighborhood is 12358W, and they look at the sinkhole thing, and it has also has the neighborhood technical, technical manual. Uh, then Chidi and LR have a little bit of a discussion where Chidi's using the old, it's not a big deal. Uh, he's like, I got to be by myself now. Not a big deal. And Eleanor's like, of course it's a big deal. Come on, I know what that means. Then uh, Tahani is looking at the computer. Even after Michael and Janet leave, they leave the computer on and unlocked. Uh, and so she looks in and it has these like circles, not Venn diagrams, like interconnected circles, one with the weather. It looks like the weather choices, at least the defaults, are foggy, rain, uh, cloudy, or sunny. Uh, then there's listings, neighborhood rankings, housing data, uh, re- redirects. I don't know what that says. Uh, then there's a landscape circle with structures, uh, rooks, water, uh, gravy, grass, and I don't know what rooks are. Maybe that's trees. It looks like R-O-O-K, rocks. Oh, that's it. Michael has a thing for rocks, kind of. And there's a menu with blueprints. I put lies, but I don't think, I think that's probably another word. 
And uh, Tahani looks up her ra- the neighborhood rankings, and I'll just give you this, the basics. Uh, it uh, David comes in at two point nine million is his ranking. Gian is number two at two point seven. Bjorn, uh, B-J O E R N is two point six. Uh, Kachan at two point six. Uh, Jessica two point five. Eleanor's in sixth place. Uh, Tahani is in three hundred twenty first place. Three hundred twenty second place is Glenn M A R T R E M M P F. I think there's someone named Xavier in there somewhere. Maybe we learned that. And then we see a flashback uh, to Tahani's to, to childhood and her sister Camilla. And uh, they talk about some artists and uh, they show off uh, the different art they're working on as children. Probably, I don't know, eight to ten year old uh, children. Uh, Chidi had talks about some of his dreams that he's been having uh about Eleanor and his es- uh, the impossibility of his ethical solution. Uh, I think he dreamed that his aunt or his grandmother turned into Eleanor. And uh, then they get like, uh, we also get a view of her patio. It has a modern table with an umbrella. Then some stuff about the sinkhole that comes in. Alert, uh, Michael's in a gray tie. A gray suit and a gray pocket square, all in gray because it's an alert. I think his shirt's gray too, but different shades of gray. Not not fifty shades of gray. No brain. And then we go to commercial. We come back and we see a table. There's coffee cup, uh, marionette, uh, OJ glass, a froyo cup. Uh, what does that say, marionette? Uh, Orange slices, a wine glass, crumbled up turquoise papers. It looks like almost construction paper. More froyo containers on the floor. Two blankets. Eleanor's wearing Uggs and sweatpants. And a Michigan Law sweatshirt. A coffee cup. I don't know if I mentioned. Oh, no. To-go coffee cup on one of the end tables. There's actually two froyo cups on the table. Tissues. Uh, Michael refers to Janet as the magical assistant there. Uh, we learn that Chidi likes to do the dishes. Uh, Michael shows back up in a yellow paisley tie and blue. And ma- pocket square matches it. Uh, like the border of the pocket square is blue. And then the pocket square is a pair. Peri- I don't know. Is periwinkle yellow? Like a light yellow. Like named out like a named after that kind of yellow bird, I think. And Michael says, "Yeah, just can you keep keep these people as a guest for like one hour between one hour and eleven months?" Uh, we go back to Chidi. Uh, no, we go back to Tahani's place, and it's day three of their brunch, and she shows off the brunch schedule: full day of activities. There's three groups A, B, and C. Each group is broken up into 12, I guess, individuals. I guess so. she has 36 people over there. It looks like they have three common periods together, which I guess would be the meals. That's when we see William Xavier as the last, third to last place. So between Tahani and, uh, oh no, above Tahani and the other person who's Glenn or whatever. Then we have another uh, flashback uh, to Tahani doing a fundraiser for Britain Children's Fund. 
five two two million pounds, but middle thermometer doesn't cut it. Uh, so she introduces her sister Camilla, youngest person uh, ever to graduate from Oxford, world class painter, social activist, iconoclast, uh, Olympic gold medalist for archery, uh, BAFTA award winner for a documentary and a Grammy award winning album. And the person most likely voted to be most likely be Banksy, which she does a, a shush. And she has this like super long one uh, ponytail. Uh, and she's very stylish. And she auctions off a lunch date starting at three million pounds. Her dad immediately bids five million pounds. And this is one thing about this show that really excels at it, even though it's a situation of comedy, is these mo- real moments. Uh, this one has these two different dilemmas with Chidi and uh, Tani, and they, and I guess Eleanor and stuff. Uh, but really, Chidi really digs deep. But so does Eleanor's flashbacks. I mean, uh, Tahani's flashbacks. Uh, and we can't see the plot about... Uh, yeah, we see Tahani Supply kind of playing out. And they meet one of their neighbors who says, I wrote the book on true love, uh, uh, how to spot marriage problems at a thousand miles or something. She says he's vexed uh, when him and Eleanor, they're alone in a room. At first I said, what room is this? It ends up it's a bathroom. There's like a very decorative mirror with uh, like a lot of different things pointing off it, like uh, like almost like a sun, but it's a dark color. And there's porthole windows in the bathroom. I said, well, what do they got? A, a one you could see right in. Uh, but it is just a set. Uh, and this is, I think, the first time Eleanor says, you, ba- you basic, uh, it won't be the last. And then we see a big driftwood sculpture in Eleanor's living room that maybe I talked about before, but this one's big. I'd say three feet tall. And uh, the word squabble gets used multiple times, including a very funny one with Chidi. Then let's see, Tahani out. Uh, Oh, because she says uh, goodbye to her parents or something. And they say, oh, yeah, you were uh, in the, they said, hey, we left you as uh, t- t- Tahini. Or is that what it's called? Tahini, yeah, instead of Tahani. Uh, Janet, oh, then Tahani goes outside. Maybe this is earlier. Uh, she's trying to bring, she's trying to be helpful and check in with Michael and Janet. At first, we don't see her, though. We just see Janet. Uh, no, we do. And then we see Janet and Michael working on the sinkhole. Janet's got this, like, uh, some sort of a TV antenna equipment type thing with lights on it, some sort of scanner. And they say, you can't be here. So then uh, Tahani goes cubist on everybody. Uh, and then she admits seeing the oh, rankings. Uh, I think that's later. Then we see have the flashback when she's talking. Uh, they're t- talking about her being Tahini. But what I noticed is the beginning of the scene. I thought this was very good acting or very good character development. Uh, because usually she's so poised, but she is a dribble, like a, uh, what do you call that? Not dribbling her fingers, uh, but tapping all her right hand fingers on the table uh, in kind of a nervous frustration. And I really thought it was good, especially because she's trying to step out of this uh, thing. And she says, you know, I tried, but it never has never been enough. Uh, 
And she's also telling us to Michael, who has a giant purple bow tie on in pocket square at this point. And also at this time, uh, we really get this big, uh, uh, deeper look at Chidi, uh, which is really nice. Uh, and then the episode ends on this wonderful note, uh, dishes, Doc. I don't know. Oh, the dishes are done. And then we see a rowboat. And Eleanor sees a note to say, hey, meet me down by the lake or something. He goes down there. He's got a nice dress shirt on, as all, I mean, most of the time. He doesn't always have nice dress shirts on. And Eleanor says, hey, go for a rowboat ride with some wine and French poetry. And she gives him a card that says, fork off, Eleanor, and kind of like gold print. And I was wondering if Janet made that or if they have a print shop there. Because you couldn't just print it on a home printer. So she had to get it done somewhere. And then he says, what does this say? Oh, gold letters, print shop. Theoretic, uh, Chidi says it's a theoretical fan. This was a theoretical fantasy. And at first, the first shots, it could have been on, on a lot or something. But then they pull back as Chidi goes into the lake because he doesn't know how to row a boat. Uh, and you see it's a really nice-looking lake, so I don't know where they filmed it, but it, like, it even had some autumn colors and stuff. And Eleanor is pretty happy. Uh, so is, uh, we also see, um, oh, wait, this is back when uh, uh, Tahani's talking to Michael, kind of saying, well, geez, uh, I want to be a heroine. I want to get out of my sister's shadow. Uh, so I thought that was nice. Uh so I think that's it for that episode that we needed to cover. I mean, the big part is that big list of, uh, uh, this episode, uh, all, so the, I don't know, the big list of, uh, what do you call that stuff? Frozen yogurt. And then episode six opens, uh, with another Eleanor's cross armed and she's looking at us, the camera, but she, you know, you can tell she's looking at something and she's looking at the three clowns that are on the same wall as her front door. Like, her front door is to the left with that planner I was talking about. Uh, like, the weird uh, waist-sized planner with three things, uh, like a mini wall. But she's looking at these three clown portraits. Not portraits. I guess they are portraits of clowns. And I guess they're clown portraits, too. And they're, they're all, the middle one is slightly larger than the one on the left and the right, but not a humongous size difference. And we're kind of familiar with the one on the left. That's old three tie, a clown wearing three bow ties for some reason. And he kind of has, whichever that Mark's brother is with the blonde curly hair, like a little, I think that's Harpo uh, action. It's in the center clown. I don't know. I said there's something familiar about this clown. Uh, he also has like a big curly hair and it's like a rainbow. It goes blue, purple, yellow, red uh, down the middle, yellow, purple, blue. Uh, like if we were facing him from my left hand, uh, which would be his right ear, it goes again. I'll do it for you. blue, purple, yellow, red, yellow, blue. I think I may have called him Roy G. Biv in the past, but he's not. He's B P Y R Y P B B P Y R R Y P something. You know, but uh, 
Eleanor has a name for him. He also has, a, I didn't notice this till this time, he's got a giant Elizabethan collar on. And I guess it's a new thing for dogs when your dog needs a collar, like a non-itching collar. They say, get him an Elizabethan collar. At least that's what they told me. I said, I couldn't find it. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, he's just got, he, I said, I don't know if it's uh He's got this interesting look on his face where you really can't tell his expression either. The center clown. And then the clown on the right has a, uh, a blue kind of almost like a kid in play. I don't know if, how many people are familiar with that. There's a player, basketball player this season. Uh, and he changed teams. I can't I, I have to think of it. Yeah, but anyway, he uh, has like a kid in play style spiked blue hair. A very formal stance, shoulders back, kind of like a clown sergeant or something. If I had to say something, I'd say it's a French clown, but I don't know why. I don't have any backup for that. Uh, and Eleanor's very stressed about Michael and the clowns. And she says, okay. And she goes through the names, which I'm trying to say. Uh, let's see, whose names can I say? Oh, I also noticed the center clown has stars on his cheeks. Uh, He's a like a C-3PO, but not uh, that's not his name. Uh, but Poco, <laughs> that's not it. I don't even I can't even read my writing. Uh, then uh, Greedo, uh, then Crazy Head, <laughs> then uh, Stupid ju- Juggling uh, Head, maybe. Uh, then Freaky Feet, and then George Washington, the Clown. Yeah, it's much funnier when and then she replaces uh the center clown, Roy G. Bibb or whatever, with a sexy mailman that's not a clown. Then they her and uh, Chidi they talk they talk about what we owe each other, because I think that's the name of the episode. Uh yeah, what we owe to each other. He talks about contractualism, which ends up being kind of the theme of the episode. And really about keeping your promises. Also a couple of shots of a ton of books. Couldn't read any of the book titles. Let me see if I could do it now. Oh, that was a book you want Eleanor to read. What will we owe each other? Like an introduction to conceptualism or contractualism. And Eleanor's trying to figure out a way to both help Michael find who doesn't belong and not help him. And she you know, she says, it can't be done. She says, oh, I've done it before, so... Uh, with my cousin, so I think I can figure it out. Uh, then we have a shot of uh, Michael. He's at a map uh, with a bunch of, like, where he's doing all his research. Uh, and it was another good one. I tried to freeze it again. I see him, like, he's got all these spots where events happen marked um, uh, with string, a very loud bird, uh, a weird pebble, sinister rock, uh, you think if I saw a flying shrimp on there at one point, and he's a little out of sorts, so his tie's untied. He has a blue shirt on, and his tie is almost a paisley style tie, but it's not paisley, and it's untied. He has no jacket on, so he doesn't have a pocket square. His tie is like three or four t- styles of blue, like colors of blue. Uh, he has a belt on, uh, so I don't know if the um, suspenders ever come back. He talks about being able to see and uh, observe nine dimensions. Uh, let me see I'm watching it here because there's an hourglass, and I said, is there sand actually moving in the hourglass, or is the hourglass already done? 
It looks like it just got flipped because there's like some dust in the top, but it was drained. Uh, bird, weird pebble, Chidi, Tahani, and John, you spend some time together. Oh, we have a guest, uh, Mary Holland, a uh, guest, says Eleanor's friend, and she's been, she's, she's in Wild Horses comedy troupe, uh, and you could hear her on a lot of podcasts. She's really good on, uh, she has, she's on Tapped. She's on a lot of Earwolf podcasts. Uh, very, very funny. And she was on Doughboys because she was talking about how she used to work at, um, uh, Medieval Times. Uh, so cool guest spot. Um, then we see another guest, uh, not as good as Mary Holland, but, uh, Magic Eight Ball, uh, Gianu has. And he says, uh, I am, it is, I am decidedly so. And Tahani wants to go do some couples activities and do some discursive discussions. Oh, also, the, the how, Eleanor's going to house sit and dog sit for Mary Holland's character. And uh, the house uh, that they shot it in, or if it's a real house, is amazing. I mean, if for like a regular house, uh, at least to me, I said, man, uh, that's the house I dreamed to grow up in. Uh, then I see, I saw a scene with Tahani. She has a big finger, her finger, she's wearing a finger ring. I don't know if that's what you call it. I guess all rings go on fingers. Uh, but the face of the ring is like as long as three quarters of her finger. So I was wondering if she could open and close her finger. But then I just realized, I guess she could because your finger open and closes away from the ring. Uh... They put WTF office. Oh, this, then there's a scene back in Michael's office with stuff we've never seen before. Uh, like he has a little mini museum with a tape dispenser, waxed lips, uh, lips, wax lisp, uh, uh, bobble, like a bobblehead Mark Twain, a comb, a cheese crater. Oh, cheese grater, a cheese crater. I thought it said crater in my handwriting. Cheese grater, a pink eraser, a slingshot, and then a paper football like you would make in grammar school and try to kick field goals or make into a star. He also has a giant bowl of paper clips. He loves running his hand through paper clips. He tells Eleanor he's discovered 78 suspicious rocks. Says she said, are they defective? Or are they taunting you? And Eleanor has an idea. She says, dude, it's time for some chill time. And Michael grabs his jacket. So we do see he has a matching pocket square uh, that is blue. And uh, there's this whole third wheel kind of theme. Uh, so Chidi, Gianni, uh, Jason, uh, Tahani uh, go to the Good Face Spa. And we have a great uh, talk about the language with uh, Janet, who says, couples are pairs of people. And I think he says, I'm a, I'm a third part of the couple, uh, the helper part, the fun part. Uh, we're a three-person couple. It's just a fun scene. You should watch it. Uh, and then uh, Eleanor and Michael, they're talking at a picnic table over a couple of cups of Froyo. And they're talking about the TV show Friends and Becoming Friends. Uh, and uh, actually, this ends up being, this is true. Michael says, architects don't aren't supposed to live on site. Uh, but I figured I'd live here for the first thousand years. 
And then he kind of underlines things. He says, you know, you don't break promises. That's what he goes, that's what we're really focused on. And Eller goes, okay, well, I promised you we'd have some fun. So they go do karaoke. They do uh, A Blaze of Glory from Young Guns, the movie, which I think was, uh, uh, who's that band? It's, uh, bon Jovi, I think, is who sings that. Maybe just John Bon, or maybe it's the whole Bon Jovi. I'm not sure. And Michael has fun karaokeing. Then Janet's ready to give massages. Her hands are perfectly warm to 105 degrees. Uh, what is it? Why does this say P-E-C-T? I don't know what that means. Packed. Uh, oh, perfect. Uh, that perfect temperature. Uh, they're at the Kingdom Com- They went from the uh, Good Face Spa to the Kingdom Com Spa, according to their robes. Uh, and then they talk about Pitbull and Impressionism. Uh, GD actually has, has been trained in the uh, mandible massage technique, uh, so he does that. Uh, Meanwhile, Eleanor and Michael play skee-ball. Then they play the claw. I think they play the claw game first where you get stuffed animals with the claw. Uh, Eleanor shows Michael a technique to get extra tickets to skee-ball. Then they go bowling like the black light laser bowling. And Michael talks about how humans kind of can figure out how to have the most fun then we're back at uh, Mary Holland's house, uh, and uh, Eleanor's supposed to be still house sitting. Her friend shows up. She says, "I got tickets to Rihanna." She calls him. She calls her Riri. And on the back of the tickets uh, was a bunny. On the back of the Rihanna tickets, uh, and they yeah, put a really nice house. She's house sitting. Then we go back to the spa and. Uh, uh, Chidi and Jason already have face masks. They're very, very blue, like almost a blue you'd get on a cupcake you buy at a supermarket uh, where you say, I don't think, uh, you say, okay, how could that frosting be that possibly blue? Like beyond, beyond turquoise, where you say, that's like the artificial version of turquoise. And Tahani can't get, uh, uh, her, her pores are just too small to... Uh, get a face mask. Uh, uh, so she's frustrated. She can't have a moment with John. Uh, you talking about art and discursive discussions. So she ends up going to get tea uh, at the couples, uh, two couples cafe now, tea for two couples cafe. And her and Chidi share a moment. She says, I just want a soulmate uh, that I can discuss the ethereal colors of Degas with. And then there's kind of a joke about France, uh, and, uh, yes, oh, good museums, uh, and Chidi and Tahani, he says, we'll be soul friends. Then it's the next day at Michael's office. Eleanor shows up with Mad Libs, uh, po- uh not poodle bugs, uh, paddle balls, and she's holding a DVD, and I don't think it was ever revealed what the DVD was, uh. Because he never faced the camera that I could see. Maybe it was like a friend's special or something. Michael has a deep purple uh, striped bow tie. And then a lighter purple pocket square with polka dots. Uh, he's so excited because he's kind of made a breakthrough that he gives Eleanor a paperclip, sh- paperclip shower. And then they go and they get a list from Janet that goes from a short list to a long list. Uh, 
Then we see uh, Jason. He's playing a driving game and talking about Frank Caliendo. Then we go back to Michael, Eleanor, and Janet. And so there's 30 guests at the sinkhole dinner party. And 66 looky-loos that stopped in to take a look. Uh, so I guess it's 96 people. And uh, Michael says, this is the end of the road for figuring this out. And Eleanor goes, end of the road, boys to men. Let's go do karaoke. I uh, love that line. And Michael puts on his, he has a hoodie for when he feels down. So he lies on the floor with his hoodie drawn. He talks Friends season eight, which I said, oh, wow. He had talked about the 10 seasons of Friends. Uh, and I said, holy cow. They said Friends was 10 seasons long. That's a really long time. Then we have around 18 minutes, another uh, Eleanor flashback uh, to Mary Holland's bulbous dog. Uh, but the thing that struck me most was 1840. Uh, there's a guy sitting behind Eleanor when she's kind of discussing things with uh uh, about the Rihanna concert, and she goes, you didn't even ask me how the Rihanna concert was, and the guy sitting behind her eating, they're at like a, a, a sidewalk restaurant, he turns around and looks at her, and I don't know if that was like scripted or not, I just thought, like, as soon as he heard a Rihanna concert, he was like, wait a second, what, uh, there's a, I missed a Rihanna concert, um, uh, let's see. I'll help you however I can. Oh, yeah. Eleanor learns her lesson from a flashback. So she says, Michael, I'll help you however I can, but I'm only human, which gives him an idea. Then we see this triangular action with Chidi Gianyu and Tahani because uh, uh, Gianyu shows her this uh, piece of art that Chidi clearly did of these uh, Degas-style uh, ballerinas with her on it. She says, only my true soulmate, soulmate could give this to me. And then there's a big town meeting, and Eleanor's there. Chidi's reaction was a little understated. She says, uh, that's it, man, I'm busted. Take down the clowns, leave up the sexy mailman. And I really thought that was just uh, so in character for Eleanor. And then, but then there's like one more end of the episode twist, which is a great one. And the episodes come to a close. Uh, but I thought we'd try to learn some stuff this week from what came up in the episode two. Uh, so let's see what we got. We got John Stuart Mill, who was born uh, May 1806 to May 1873. British philosopher, political economist, and civil servant. Uh, one of the most influential thinkers in the history of liberalism. Uh, his concept of liberty, this is from Wikipedia, justified the freedom of the individual in opposition to unlimited state and social control. And he was a proponent of uh, utilitarianism, an ethical theory developed by his predecessor, oh, Jeremy uh, Bentham, that was who else was on the board. Uh, he also contributed to the investigation of scientific method methodology, uh, though his knowledge of the topic was based on the writings of others. Uh, he was uh, the first member of parliament to call for women's suffrage. Uh, he's a member of the little par Liberal Party. Uh, let's see what else we got. A lot of interesting stuff, and I'll link to it on Wikipedia. Uh, the books he wrote, A System of Logic, uh, Theory of Liberty. Uh, I thought uh, Eleanor was reading another book, though. Uh, I thought she was reading On Something Else by John Stuart Mill. 
let's see, economic, uh, philosophy, environment, wages. Uh, here's a major publication. The System of Logic, maybe that's what she was reading. Oh, On Liberty, maybe? Utilitarianism? You wouldn't think I watched that episode so many times. Uh, uh, too bad I don't have Cheaty here to help, but uh, it should be a dilemma for him making sense of it. But that's a little bit on John Stuart Mill. Uh, now, when we have the flashback uh, uh, for, for Tahani and her sister, Camilla, they're kind of competing with Art, uh, and her parents are kind of uh, praising her sister, uh, and they say, geez, what is this? She has this uh, bird uh, sculpture uh, where Tahani has uh, more of a bird painting and drawing. And uh, her father says, geez, I think you've moved into some other phase. I don't know. Uh, and he goes, hey, I could see influences from uh, Brancusi and uh, Kapoor here. So Constantine Brancusi as a Romanian uh, February nineteenth, uh, one wow, right around my birthday. <laughs> That's wild. Uh, 1876 uh, to March uh, nineteen fifty-seven. A sculptor, painter, and photographer made his career in France. A pioneer of modernism and one of the most influential sculpture sculptors of the twentieth century. The patriarch of modern sculpture. I don't know if that's a good thing anymore, but it might have been a couple of years ago. I don't know if that's uh, so, but uh, as a child, he had an aptitude for carving wooden farm tools. Uh, uh, studies took him from Bucharest to Munich uh, and to, then to Paris in uh, 1905. Clean, his art emphasizes clean geometry, geometrical lines uh, uh, that balance forms inherent in his materials with symbolic illusions of rep- representational art. Uh, Brancusi saw inspiration in non-European cultures, uh, just like some of his contemporaries, uh, also influenced by Romanian folk art, uh, traceable through Byzantine and Dionysian traditions. Uh, so let's see, I'm trying to see uh he had a big show at uh, Armory in uh, 1913. Uh, and, uh, oh, there's even a, uh, oh, Greg Olden used Brancusi's bird in space as the inspiration behind his Clio Award statuettes. Uh, so it really some, I mean, the thing with the, this, all this, uh, ethical stuff and this art stuff is, uh, you know, it kind of shows the work the writers are putting in on the show, uh, really impressive. And then, uh, Sir, uh, Anish Kapoor. Uh, he was born in March 1954, British sculptor, uh, born in Bombay, uh, lived and worked in London since the early 70s when he moved to study art. Uh, let's see. He was, uh, he's been awarded many, many prizes. Uh, uh, knighthood in 2013, uh, a doctoral uh, degree at Oxford in 2014. Uh, he became known in the 80s for his geometric or bimorphic sculptures using simple materials such as granite, limestone, marble, pigment, and plaster. Uh, these early sculptures were frequently simple curved forms, monochromatic and brightly colored, using powder pigment to define and permeate the form. 
Uh, here's a quote. When making the pigment pieces, it occurred to me that they all formed themselves out of each other. So I decided to give them a generic title, a thousand names implying infinity, a thousand being a symbolic number. The powder works sat on the floor or projected from the wall. The powder on the floor defines the surface of the floor, and the objects appear to be partially submerged like icebergs. That seems to fit the idea of somebody being partially there. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, uh, Kabor was uh, acclaimed for his explorations of matter and non-matter, specifically evoking the void in both uh, freestanding sculptural works and ambitious installations. Many of his sculptures seem to recede into the distance, uh, disappear into the ground, or distort into sp- the space around them. In 87, he began working in stone. His latter works are made from solid quarried stone, many of which have curved apertures and cavities, often alluding to and playing with dualities. In the end, I'm talking about myself and thinking about making nothing, which I see as a void. But then that's something, even though it's really nothing. Uh, That's cool. And uh, 95, since 95, he's been working with a highly reflective surface of polished stainless steel, mirror-like works uh, reflecting or distorting the viewer and the surroundings. Uh, you've probably seen some of these, uh, uh, been outside the Tate Modern, the Millennium Dome in London. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's one in Chicago. Uh, he does like, uh, yeah, like, uh, he, he used to red wax as part of his repertoire. Uh, so definitely someone who worked at, these are two artists, uh, worth your time and really cool that, uh, they got a little exposed in, uh, this episode of, uh, or yeah, that was, that, that episode, a little cookie. You basic, uh, as Eleanor says, uh, to, to transition. Uh, I guess is a way of saying you're boring uh, or you're low class, according to Urban Dictionary. And Eleanor actually has brought it back. Uh, squabble. Uh, you looked up a bunch of different definitions. Uh, it's of uh, North Germanic uh, origin. And uh, it, it says a minor uh, disagreement between children. But I think a lot of times it means it's allowed. Uh, a trivial disagreement, a squabble, or to to, to squabble, the verb is uh, to participate in a squabble. And, I mean, that's a great word to uh, get back into your, you know, squabble. Don't, you know, instead of feud with Drake, I mean, I guess a squabble, it sounds like you have to be, can you squabble on Twitter? It's, I think Twitter's one big squabble, actually. And when you run into a squabble, sometimes you could feel as cheated does, vexed, uh, which is, uh, you know, not, you know, annoyed, irritated, uh, tossed about. Uh, I think that's probably the best. Tossed about is in waves. Uh, uh, or someone verb vexes you. Uh, they could be provoking you, tormenting you, troubling you, causing you a tummy ache. Um, uh, stirring up or tossing you about, uh, another good word to work in. I'm vexed and, you know, vexing is one thing, but to say I'm vexed, uh, it kind of shuts the conversation down. You say, Hmm, I'm going to have to look that up and try to, can, 
Yeah, I'm I'm vexed. If you're vexed, uh, I'm stumped. Uh, and then discursive is another beautiful word, uh, and it relates to this podcast. I think uh, uh, it's from Middle French, and it can mean uh, digressions from the main point, rambling. Uh, tending to digress uh, fr- from the main point. I think I said that. Did I say that already? Uh, or uh, using reason and argument rather than intuition. So I think a d- discursive, uh, she was talking about it in a discussion complex, like going off and talking about art and just seeing where it goes. And then finally, uh, Michael says that he sees in nine dimensions. So I want to look up how many dimensions are there. And according to this Mental Floss article from August 9th, 2017, uh, by M- Michelle Dubzak, uh, let's see. It says, uh, this article is how many dimensions are there? And you ask everyone, and they might like list length, width, and depth. I'll just be kind of paraphrasing. They might add time if they're thinking out of three dimensions. Uh, but if you ask a string theorist how many dimensions are there, it would be a different response. According to this branch of theoretical physics, there's 10 dimensions of space, most of which are impossible, as Michael said, for humans to perceive. But I guess one of those dimensions is impossible for Michael to perceive. And I would say, and I don't know the answer to this, uh, so I'm not spoiling it, uh, does that mean, is that a hint on how to deal with Michael? Because I would say that the people writing the show are super smart. Uh, dimensions are the metrics uh, physics, uh, physicists use to trans- describe reality. Pretty broad, right? Let's start with the three dimensions. Uh, spatial, width, height, and depth are easy to visualize. Uh, you can go from a flat two-dimensional thing to a three-dimensional cube. And these can pinpoint the object's location in space. Uh, But space isn't the only plane we exist on, holy uh, existentialism. Uh, We also exist in time, which is a fourth dimension. So once we know altitude, longitude, and latitude and position in time, we can plot its existence in the universe as we know it. Uh, But people that subscribe to string theory say, well, there's more reality than that in the observable universe, or there's more reality than the observable universe. So there's super string theory, which aims to unify the main theories describing how how the universe works, general relativity and quantum mechanics. Uh, General relativity applying to large objects, quantum mechanics to small ones. And when they uh, started to tweak things, they realized that the, their math showed 10 dimensions, 11 if you include time. Uh, after coming up with a theory that hinges on 10 space dimensions, they did explain it, uh, where their dimensions were hiding, and that they're just as big as the dimensions we see, but they're curled up so tightly they're too small for us to notice directly. Uh, our basic understanding of physics makes this hard to process. Uh, but in a 2005 uh, TED, TED Talk, Brian Greene compares the invisible dimensions uh, to the cables connected to telephone poles. Uh, from a window, the wire looks like a one-dimensional line. But if we were studied up close, we'd see that it's round, making it three dimensions. No analogy comparing unobservable dimensions to objects in the observable world can be perfect, uh, but this explains how something fundamental reality can be hiding in plain sight.
So string theory presents there's 10 dimensions of space plus one for time. But there are physicists, physicists and physicists uh, uh, who argue there could be even more, uh, maybe even 11 dimensions, uh, uh, but it could be up to 26 uh, if you get into the bosonic uh, string theory. But could any of this be understood, but not by me, but uh, I think there's 10 dimensions in your bed now. As you sink in there, the roundness of your pillow, the softness of your pillow, the coolness of your pillow, the internal uh, kind warmth of your pillow, uh, the flatness and the kindness of your bed, uh, the air holding you, that's six, just in case you're counting, uh, the creaky dulcets uh, bouncing off your eardrums, uh, the space around your room so calming and drifting. Uh, the, 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 the sympathetic vibrations coming across the deep dark night from me to carry you off into dreamland. And the gobbledygook uh, that carries that content to your ears and hopes you rest so well. Good night. Yeah, that was 10, and then time is 11. Good night. All right, I want to thank everyone who's supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, uh, Holly, Claire, and Julie, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Emily, Tori, and Corey, thank you, thanks, and good night. Alan, uh, Stephen, and Lan, uh, thank you, thanks, and good night. Thomas, Sherry, and Caitlin, thank you, thanks, and good night. Deborah, Jesse, and Jill, thank you, thanks, and good night. Matthew, Tim, and Kyle, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Derek, Debbie, and Andy, thank you, thanks, and good night. Karen with a Y, Kendall, and Alyssa, thank you, thanks, and good night with an E. Martin, Paul, and Greg, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Geraldine, John, and Victoria, thank you, thanks, and good night. Gail, uh, Talia, and Gypsy, thank you, thanks, and good night. Jean, Sarah and Dawn, thank you, thanks, and good night. Kathy, Mary, and Daniel, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Amy, Kristen, and Stefan, thank you, thanks, and good night. DM, Charles, and Jessica, thank you, thanks, and good night. Tad, Jennifer, and Brana, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Gina, Cooper, and Aaron, thank you, thanks, and good night. Juan, Maria and George, uh, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Bo, Luke, and Lisa, thank you, thanks, and good night. And that was only a synchronicity. Bo and Luke were in a row. Uh, Joan, Hillary, and Amy, thank you, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Jane, Lily, and Eileen, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Juno, Andrea, and Juliana, thank you, thanks, and good night. Susan, Melanie, and Rita. Thank you, thanks, and good night. Christine, Ted, and Ray. Thank you, thanks, and good night. Cynthia, Karen, and Tracy. Thank you, thanks, and good night. Thank you, everybody, for uh, becoming a patron and supporting the show on Patreon. If you are a patron, please make sure you're getting your bonus content. And for help with that, just go to support.patreon.com. There's plenty of articles there on how to get your RSS set up. Uh, or you can click send us a note and uh, directly contact Patreon support and they can look up all your user info and uh, get you going with that. 
And also remember, uh, Sleep with Me is a part of Night Vale Presents. You can check out all of the amazing shows over at nightvalepresents.com. And good night.